are all evil in some form or another. We are all evil in some form or another. People, people in this day and age are brainwashed and programmed like a computer at being nothing more than puppets. This nation, this country is founded in violence. Violent delights tend to have violent ends. Violent delights tend to have violent ends. Madness is something rare violent in individuals, but in groups, people, and ages, it is a rule. Killing is killing, whether done for duty, profit, or fun. Men murdered themselves into this democracy. We are all evil in some form or another. We are all evil. Hey everybody, what's up? Welcome back. I'm running out of lines to say. I, I, let's restart that. Hi everybody, I am your herniated host, Rojan, and with me is my co-herniated host, Lobo. <laughs> wow. So, That's a first. Yeah, um, yeah, me and you have matching medical ailments. But, um, oh boy, this show. Um, this week, I'm going to put up front right off the bat. Um, I have to do the disclaimer thing. I usually drop those before the episode starts, but I'm going to do it right here. Um we have Kelly Manaski on this week, and she's a true crime author. We've had her on here before. Um, as a reminder, there is a lot of cussing and swearing in this episode just because that's how Kelly is. And we talk about a lot of gruesome topics. Um, the big thing is, is we laugh a lot during this show. We're cracking a lot of jokes, um, but this deals with serial killers or people that were killers and killed people that were innocent. So, yes, we very much understand that innocent lives were lost here. This is just the way we are. Don't be offended by it. Having said all that, it's been a while since me and you have done a serious kind of show. Um, actually, I don't remember the last time that me and you did any kind of a serious, more serious oriented show. And Kelly comes on this week to talk about, well, we were going to talk about her book, Voices from Death Row. And we, we do talk about it a little bit. We do cover some of the people in there. We cover some of the cases in there. Um, but Kelly comes on here and she tells a couple of personal stories of her own. One about Richard Ramirez. And the other one about Gregory Scott Hale. And this show, it, it gets pretty crazy. <laughs> There's really no other way to put it. One way to put it. Um, it's, it. It takes a real turn at a certain point in this show where she's talking and things get very dark and very odd and very strange. And I'm kind of a dick in it. I didn't really realize it while we were recording the show. I didn't realize it until afterwards when I went back and did the pre-edit on the show where I was cleaning up the vocals and all that kind of stuff where she starts telling her personal story and me and you are all like jet lo jokey, jokey, laugh, blah, blah, blah. Cause we were, we were kind of making fun of these people that she's talking to in prison uh, because of how they are. And then she starts telling her own personal story and you, not so much me. I never quite switch out of that mode. And then about three quarters of the way through the show, me and you are kind of like, Whoa, this is, this is pretty wild. And it, it takes a real heavy turn throughout this episode. So um, I've gone back and actually edited some of myself out of it because I just we, we had Skype issues, as always we do, where there are points where one person would be talking and somebody else would be talking. And because of Skype being the way there's a little bit of a delay where, you know, you'll see you'll still have some of that in the show. But there's points in here where I'm saying certain things and stuff like that. It just wasn't lining up, and I didn't really catch any of that till later. So, yeah, I actually owe you an apology because uh, I'm always like, hey, Lobo, say something, say something. You know, I'll send you a message or whatever. And <laughs> there's points in the show where you actually are, but I'm talking over top of you. So it turns into a jumble mess. So I had to do some pretty creative editing around this time around. <laughs> um, but it works out. So, yeah, I, I, you know, I fully acknowledge that I was kind of being an asshole. Uh, I was being an asshole. I wasn't trying to be. It's just that we were 
we just I, we just weren't expecting things to go the way that they did. We I I really wasn't like I wasn't really expecting the show to take the turn that it did on it. See, there's a point when she's telling her story where all of a sudden I'm like, oh no, I know this story, and oh my god, I'm talking to her right now, and yeah. I've known her for a couple of years now. Yeah. Well, we we know Kelly. We've built a relationship with her since she's been on the show last time. We we talked to her on Facebook and social media. We've both had conversations with her in private. You know, she's she's a regular person to us, which is one of the reasons why I like having her on the show and why people like listening to her. Um, because she she does cuss and she does swear and she smokes and she drinks beers and stuff. She's she's your average everyday person that you you know probably lives a couple of doors down from you. She doesn't write like that though. Her writing style is very different than she actually is. There's a weird disconnect there. And I I love her books. I love how she writes. Um, but she's just she's just she's very, very professional with her writing and she's down to earth. Yeah, she's very salt of the earth kind of person. So. Um, you know, but she she really likes coming on our show. As she states on here, she loves us, and you know she's she we're very comfortable with her. So this the stories that she tells in the show, the one story in particular, she hasn't told before, and this is the first time she's ever told it. And um, I don't want to go too much more into it. We'll just listen to the episode, and then we'll see you guys at the other side. So big apologies up front. I want to get that out of the way. Big apologies up front for me kind of being a dick because I just it just wasn't clicking into my head till about. To, to we're sort of the way into it and things get really heavy and weird. And then I kind of realize, oh, shit, I need to stop being a jackass and shut my mouth and, and just let this happen. So I <laughs> well, no, it's very important that I recognize my flaws, especially in regards to the show. when we do this stuff because, again, it's been a long time since we've done a serious show and we just haven't we haven't been in that mode. So and then it just happens. So we'll see everybody at the other side. This is probably one of the craziest interviews or conversations we've ever had, but um, in hindsight, yeah, I, yeah, yeah, it's, it's this is a really intense episode. So, final warning: um, this some of this stuff is pretty gruesome, and there's a lot of cussing and swearing in here, and we just kind of flow with it. So, if this is you know, if if again, as I always like to say, if this isn't your cup of tea, and you end up cutting it off and not finishing and listening to the show, that's cool. I understand. Come back next time; we'll have something completely different next go around. So, see you guys at Guaranteed. the end. Bye. All right, so returning back after how long has it been? A year? Been over a year, maybe? I don't remember. Over a year. In May. May of what, 17. Yeah, so it's been over a year now. So we got Kelly Bonansky returning with us. I, I still want to say Bonansky. How many times do you get that? Do you get that a lot? All the dang time. And I'm always like, where are you? Why you want to put that N in there? Because it's, <laughs> you just think that. Another end should follow it, you know, because you're used to saying banana. And I know it irritates you because it would irritate the hell out of me. Well, I'm used to it. True crime author. That's correct. Your book, Voices from Death Row. This is long overdue for us to get you on here. I finally managed to get a hold of a copy of it. And we've been interacting with you for ages. And last time you were on the show, people loved you. Yeah. And uh, you're very plain spoken, <laughs> which is, I think, what everybody liked about you there. I get that a lot. Authentic, you know. That's yeah, nice authentic. Way of saying. Yep. Damn. You, you have a, you know? <laughs> a, a poetic way with words and, and cuss words. 
which is perfectly fine here. It works on this show. But it's funny because I read your books and we know you, we've talked to you and we know how you are, but the person that you put forward in your books is very different from the person that you actually are, if that makes any sense at all. So it's kind of like you- I can't, you know, drop a lot of F-bombs in the books. No, but you have a- A lot of- it's, It's like you create a different personality to write your books with, you know? And I'm reading this and I'm like, is this the same person that we talked to? <laughs> really? I feel the same. No, I've never heard that before. That is fascinating. I'm going to think about that for a while. So um, <laughs> no. to recap everybody what you do, you have um, you have an interesting talent for getting a hold of people that are on death row. And you talk to these people and you hear their stories and you interact with them, uh, be it through uh, – you know, messages, letters. Um, Have you had very many face-to-face contacts with people in prisons on death row? I have. I've been doing this about 15 years. And at first it started in county jails, but I would um, visit through a, a, a nonprofit we had that's now defunct in this town, but you could go and help moms that were behind bars. So I started visiting there and then it just, um, progressed you know i went to tennessee women's prison a bunch of times i've been to some texas prisons i've been to some indiana prisons i almost went to canada to get but i had to get that i had to get the book out before i i could have got up there i went on when i when i wrote the terry lynn mcclintock book taking tori mm-hmm. i was really excited she she witnessed wasn't going to speak to anybody but me either but you know i gotta ask before we get into this book, maybe it's in this book. I don't know. And I don't remember if I asked you last time, of all the people that you've talked to, how many people do you think you've talked to over the years that are on death row? On death row, about 60. Wow. I would say, yeah, that would be a good estimate. It was far more than I anticipated. I thought you'd say like 20 or something like that. I've spoken to every single one of the women on death row and some of them, you know, they speak into them, and I, and I mean, you know, they tell me they go, you know, suck a dick and don't talk to me. But you know, <laughs> I have spoke to every single one of them. And then there's a couple men on death row that I've spoken to here and there over the years. So, yeah, I would say about 60 or so. So Oof. do you just have filing cabinets full of letters from these people or? Dude, oh, God. It's stupid. Yeah, it's stupid. It's stupid, retarded, so much of it. I just, it's just, it's just so much of it. I I forget I have half the crap I've got. I'll be upstairs, you know, I've got an attic, and I'll be up there getting summer clothes down or something and look over and I'll be, oh, shit, and I'll be lost up there for two hours looking through all this crap. I forgot about this. I forgot about that. I mean, and they're everywhere in every closet. They're uh, in every drawer and in my junk drawer, you know, you got letters from, you know, hatchet murderers and crap and just everywhere in the car. They're in the car. They're, you know, just just in your car. You you have have letters from serial killers in your car. (laughs) Yeah, I'll check the mail and then be like waiting in car rider line at school and read it. And then just like throw it in the you know in the glove box or whatever, stick it in the dash, and it'll just sit there forever. And then I, you know, it, I'll get a wild hair at my boat, and one day, and I'll just usually in the winter time, and I'll I'll decide I'm gonna organize everything, 
So I'll find all of them that are local within reach. And, you know, I do have a vague sort of odd filing system that no one understands but me. But, you know, wow. like That's great. I, buy those, I buy those really cheap, fancy dressed up boxes from Family Dollar, Dollar General, you know what I mean? A lot of times they'll have a magnet top or just, a, you know, they just look like hat boxes or something, two, three yeah. dollars. I'll get I'll get a couple of those when they're on sale for like fifty cents, and then I know like, okay, the pink frilly one is Richard Ramirez. Okay, the black and white striped one. That's great. Yeah, and then That's you know. Awesome. <laughs> and I know where they are, and they look cute in the living room, you know, so it works. It's great. <laughs> if people only knew what were in those boxes. All right. Sometimes you know I've had you know company and people be have a cocktail or something and be like, I love that box. Really? You want to know what's in there? <laughs> have you done yeah. that? Have you had people over and been like, here, you want to read a, a letter from Richard Ramirez? Go ahead, read it. I have. Dude, can you imagine, Lobo, can you imagine me and you being at her house? Yep, I absolutely could. <laughs> um, you've Here's been here for f- 15 hours. You need to leave now? No, no, we're yeah. almost done. <laughs> some of it's on my wall. Like my, my, some of my Richard Ramirez stuff hangs on the wall. and But not in my living room. You know, it's like down the hallway to the bathroom. So I don't wake people out when they come in. I just put it like as an afterthought. Oh yeah, here's a bunch of weird shit. You could open a museum with that stuff, probably. Uh, yeah, I got enough to, but only letters really. Most of the interesting stuff I usually give away, or I give to a charity or something. I try to raise money for the blog so I can send somebody some money or buy somebody a book or something. That's usually where all of it goes to. That's what my, one of my questions is going to be is, do you ever get contacted by people who want to buy the stuff off you? Because I know there's a, a market for collectible paraphernalia for serial killers and things like that. Yes, I work with those people all the time. There's a couple. I won't say anything by name in case I'm not allowed to do that. But I've worked with with several of them. And a couple of them are, are um, really pro-victim. You know, they give their money to the to the victim's funds that they make from it. And some of them are pro-inmate also. You know, they, they pay for rehabilitation programs and stuff with the money. So I know there's a lot of hoop, you know, hoopla about it, but I don't see nothing wrong with it. And a lot of times, I, you know, I give a lot of stuff away through there just for sheer fact of volume of it. And, you know, there's people that want it. So, yeah, I've, I've worked with a couple of those guys. Hmm. So getting back to my original question, of all of the people that you have talked to, who has weirded you out the most and who stands out the most in your mind? I get this question a lot, you know. No, I was going to say, I, I know why I get it a lot, because every time I get it, I always want to answer it a different way, because it depends on... You know, like everybody freaks me out. I guess that's why I've been doing this for 15 years, because, you know, you get to you see the headlines and you read the shit and you're like, oh, my God, this person just did this horrible damn thing. How can I? Oh, crap. You know, you and then you have this vision in your head of this horrible monster, even though we know Ted Bundy was good looking and suave and all that, even though we got that information, we still put this in our head that this is a monster we're fixing to see. And then you meet these people and they're everyday assholes and it never fails to blow my mind. I'm like, dude, you know, it's like I could have been standing behind him at the, at Walmart and you just never know. They're never real freaking weirdos. 
you know, once in a blue moon are they real, real weirdos. Most of the time, these people are everyday average Joes, and it always blows my mind. Always. I, I did have a weird um, encounter with, where Richard Ramirez sort of flipped a script on me one time and made me realize just what exactly I was fucking with. And, and that always, that will always stand out in my mind as a, you know, a scary situation. What happened? Uh, it was during a phone call. And, you know, it was right before he got sick. And he never told me that he was sick or anything. And not that we were big buddies or anything, but I thought we were. You know, I thought I was big shit. Well, that's how and, they work, you know, though. I, that's the whole process of, of how course, they work. Yeah. yeah. You know, but I was big shit because nobody around here, you know, knew Richard Ramirez. But and, and a lot of people, you know, some of my friends introduced me that way. This is my friend Kelly. You know, she knows Richard Ramirez. <clears throat> so, you know, I, I was kind of proud of it, proud of knowing him. And, and always in the back of my mind, I thought I'm going to be the one that he's going to tell something to that's going to, you know, crack the genetic code. We're going to figure out why these dudes do this stuff. You know, I just always figured something great was going to come out of it because I was just special or something. But. I just, that's how they work. Yeah, no matter what, you, you have to be something really profoundly special to not fall for the <clears throat> things because they're so subtle. But mm-hmm. uh, he had called and we were just chit-chatting away. And, you know, I was pretty excited to, to hear from him. And uh, I had asked him, you know, he kept telling me over the years, ask me anything and it doesn't matter, I'll answer it. And I had noticed his letters had steadily went, you know, changed, morphed. In the beginning, they were almost like form letters. And then throughout the years, like, they sort of warmed up and were actual normal letters, not like, not like you know, the crazy crap he was trying to pass off. Like, I assume other people were trying to sell, like he was trying to, you know, have a persona. And then after the years, they became real letters where he we had conversations. And I always asked him why... You know, he would say I could ask him anything and I would ask him all kinds of stuff, but he would always put me off. <clears throat> Excuse me. I would ask him, did, um, would I, did I fit the bill? You know, would I have been one of his victims? Because I, I knew a lot of them were older women, but also he likes dark haired girls and I'm blonde now, but at the time I had real long dark hair and I, I would ask him that and he always would avoid the question or make some roundabout answer to it. So we were on the phone that day and I thought, well, this is good a time as any. And I asked him about it and he just, it's like his, he got quiet. And then when he talked, when he spoke again, it was almost like a different voice. And he laughed at me and he made me just the way he laughed at me made like the hair on the back of my neck stand up and stuff. He, mm-hmm. and he said, yeah, you know, yeah, I would have killed you. I would have cut you up. Oh, so he said, well, you think we were friends, Kelly? Ooh. Wow. And my eyes teared up and I don't know why, but I cried. Cause you got I, drawn I think- into it. That's, that's, well, you've been doing this for a long time. I mean, you, I would, I know. Yeah. <laughs> that, that's how these, that's how these creatures work. <laughs> and I just sat there for a second and I said, no, 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 no. I never thought we were friends. I thought we were teacher and student. 
And he Ooh. loved that. Cracked up laughing, and then his voice went back to like the little old man voice he always sounded like. And I thought, okay, ha ha. So you got, got to see the actual face. beast within, as opposed to the mask that was being presented to you. Yeah, yeah. It still it still creeps me out when I think about it. It still makes like cold chills go down my back because so, I can hear the voice still. Odd how question. It changes like that. Did you learn anything Shoot. from that? You know, did it? Oh, did, sure. It, I mean, nothing I didn't already know. I guess it just reinforced it. Hey, dummy, don't forget. You know. Yeah, I got so wrapped up and and I was gonna be, you know, Lois Lane or whatever and crack the code and be on the ID channel and but, you know, he was just strangling me along, I guess. But you know, on the other hand, he wasn't really stringing me along because I wanted to to write him. I wanted the phone calls. I you know, I wanted to do it. So it's not like he was, you know, trying to keep me talking me into it because I was doing it of my own free will but I don't know I it's just like he didn't have anything else to do in there so why not you know put the put this fake person to me but uh, you know then again I don't know how much of it's fake how much of it was real how long did you talk I to just, him for how many how many years did you have communication with him uh about five years I, I think yeah Jesus. So let me ask you this then, being that you had such contact with him for such a long period of time, I guess, I, 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 I guess, I don't know, maybe using the words that you knew him so well, maybe you didn't, I don't know how else to put it. When you mm -hmm. see movies like about the Night Stalker, Richard Ramirez and stuff, and you see all these things, these portrayals of him, how, how do you feel when you see that kind of stuff, having actually known the guy as opposed to what's presented to the public in these movies and things? Um, a lot of the, the movies are based off of when he first went to jail, when he was first arrested, you know, and he was, you know, violent and angry and young and, you know, full of energy and violence and hate. And I never knew that person. Uh, the only person I knew was an old man, you know, that had trouble breathing. So I, I also think that that's kind of why I let myself be so surprised by him when he did turn strange on me because he lured me in with that pitiful old man kind of thing. And he seemed harmless. Even his voice sounded old, you know, and he, <clears throat> and then, and so I didn't relate him to that scary guy. So a lot of the movies, you know, it seems like somebody else, but I'll tell you what, I did see something on, um, I think it was like Lifetime Network or something crazy like that, where Lou Diamond Phillips played yeah. him. Yeah, mm -hmm. And that was good. That was scary good. Like he had a hospital scene mm -hmm. and, a, and a scene on the telephone where he was coughing and hacking. And that was that was really, really good. He did a really good job at that. Did you ever meet him in person? I did not. I kept putting that off and putting that off. I was scared to. I think I kind of knew deep down inside he was going to pull something crazy on me. And you know, they, they, you can touch with it in San Quentin. Isn't that crazy? <laughs> crazy as fuck, but it's true. You can have contact visits in San Quentin. And I just wasn't about all that. Mm -mm. That's heavy. Oh, before, that's some heavy shit. <laughs> 
That is some like yeah. seriously okay. heavy shit. I mean, <laughs> most of the people that listen to this show uh, are never going to have that intimate of a connection with somebody without being in physical contact with them. And to, to elicit such a visceral response from you, that's heavy. Yeah, it, it messed with me. And, you know, it was on an Easter, I think. I think it was on Easter Sunday, to be honest with you. And all kinds of just crazy, you know, connections went through my mind. I'm telling you, it, it really did blow my mind. It did. How long ago was it? Oh, shoot. I think it was the year before he died. So three, three, four years ago, something like that. Wow. So I got to ask also. You're not the only one talking to these people. I mean, you're obviously not the only one that was probably pen pals with Ramirez. And oh, oh, he had a shit ton of people. Yeah, a bunch of them would tell you that he married them too. I know a couple girls say that. So this is like a game for him. You know, he's got nothing else better to do oh, yeah. sit in jail. So to sit and yes, just manipulate people. Many times. Yeah, sure. But then again, you know, a lot of people he quit writing in those last couple of years of his life. Mm-hmm. So. He whittled us down to his favorites, I guess, and then threw his last fuck you out there, and uh, there he went. I didn't. I had no idea he was sick. He didn't even tell me, so he may have told some of the other ones he was sick, and I don't know. I had no idea. Here's a flipped out odd question. Um, I can't believe I'm going to ask this, but like the idea that you could have been one of his murder fantasies. You know, does does that flip you out, <laughs> or are you just like, yeah, whatever? You know. <laughs> um, I, you know, I, I I have never thought of that. You suppose I was? Why I, me? I, I don't know. I mean, if if he if Why he not, kept you right? strung, strung along that long, and then when you asked him that question, and he busts out with, "Oh yeah, I'd have killed you." You know, yeah. I mean, was it, was yeah. there any delay in, in him saying that or anything like that? Or was it just an immediate? Yeah. Oh, yeah, there was a delay because I thought he hung up or I thought we got, you know, cut off. Mm-hmm. But then when he when he spoke up and I, uh, originally I thought it was somebody else on the line. That's how different his voice was. But then, oh. you know, he said, no, you know, he said, yeah, of course I would. Yes, I would have. What do you think? We we're friends. That's no. cold. <laughs> yeah. And he laughed at me. And when he laughed at me, it made me cry. And I'll never forget that. That's the way the tears popped out of my eyes like that. Like, I, I almost out of fear. But, you know, he couldn't hurt me. He's a million miles away. But See, that's the I got a person tiny within, little though. piece. It's, yeah. You know, because everything else you're dealing with is just the glamour or the image or the facade. And then when you actually pull that person out, I don't know. I mean, that's in, in some ways, that's the person you want to hear from. You're not the person that's going to tell you what you want to hear or whatever. You actually, you know, you want to to talk to the monster. Yeah, you want to talk to the monster and not. But then again, you were caught off guard. That's true. But I think it's all real. All of it. I don't think they could pull it off so well if if they didn't have the good parts, too. You know, which is what makes them so hard to catch is they do have a real, a real side, a normal side. Hmm. Well. Let's jump into the book a little bit because I do want to talk about some people in the book. I was going to talk to you about the history of the death penalty and all that, but I think we'll just skip <laughs> off that. And um, I got to find the person that I had marked off in here. Was it Noah? What the heck was that guy's name? Asso. 
Yeah, let's talk yeah, about him. Dude, yeah. that guy's nuts. He was the guy, and I remember reading in the book that he he says in there that his wife would wake up with other people on top of her. You know, yeah. he would like drug her and knock her out, and then invite people. Yeah. And he'd be like, "Here, screw my wife," while I sit here and watch. Yeah. Can yeah, you believe that? Sickle fuck. I can't believe most of the stuff that I've read from the people in this book. <laughs> the gentleman in the first chapter, I couldn't even finish. But go ahead. No, who, who were you talking about? Edward Joseph Edward Duncan yeah, the Third. Yeah, Joseph Edward Duncan the Third. I couldn't. I couldn't finish him. I couldn't make it through that. He was just isn't that terrible. And you know, he's the only one out of all that whole book that I still have contact with. He's the only one I still have contact with. Yeah. Really, you still talk to this monster? I do. Wow. What is he like? You know what? He's very, very super intelligent. He can talk to you about anything, but he wants to talk in circles all the time. He does not believe that he has done. I mean, all right. He is so hard to explain, dude. So hard to explain. Okay. He, he knows that he did wrong. Of course he did. Okay. He, um, he killed a couple of two little boys I think in 2005 in Minnesota. I'm so bad with places. Um, and then let, got, got away, went to Idaho um, and was actually looking. And, and there's a reason that he that he was looking for this. But he was actually looking for children to kidnap and rape and, and murder. He, he, and he traveled all over the place looking for this. He had a GPS. He would mark locations. He just, he traveled. I mean, he is the actual walking, talking, living nightmare of every parent in the world. I mean, exactly what you would epitomize to be the man that's out there looking for your kids. This asshole is it. I mean, he doesn't get any scarier than Joseph Duncan. And he started young, too. Yeah. Uh, because I mean, he was raped at, at a real early age, and yep. he just had a lot, a lot of weird things happen with him associated with sex before he ever hit puberty. And he had there was no way around it; he was gonna turn out to be a whack job. I mean, all the the shit that happened to him at, at that young of age that he, and then the way his parents were, he had he never had. A, he never had a shot. I mean, he was always going to be a time bomb. So but, he kidnapped yeah, he a, a brother and sister, and then he he raped the boy. After, I mean, yeah, after killing the mother, father, teen brother, and he made them he made them watch, and then he no, raped. Didn't he okay. actually pulled them out in the yard so they didn't have to watch? He left them in the yard tied up. Yeah. And then he raped the little boy in front of the sister, and then he killed the little boy, right. and then he continuously raped the girl, and somehow or another she managed to convince him to let her go? Right. And yeah. he still credits her with that, yeah. And he, he, he wants to take credit for that, though. He, you know, he, tell, he says, well, she, she said this and blah, blah, blah. Um, I tried to get him to tell me what their last words were to each other, and he would not do it. He says, and, and there were certain things he wouldn't tell me. And he was one of the most frustrating of that whole book because when we first started talking, he was like, yes, I really, see, because I ran across his blog online where he talks about how pedophiles are, are not bad guys, you know. <laughs> okay. And he, 
that's his platform and he wants to argue it all the damn time. And he's got books and statistics and studies and research about other countries and about, you know, I mean, he can talk you in circles about it. But, you know, what it boils down to is, you know, he knows what he did is wrong, but he wants to justify it. But he doesn't like that word justification, you know, because he, you know, he's just so hard to talk to. It takes a great deal of thought to sit down to anything he he wants to tell you. But um, I asked him if he was gay one time and he said, well, that 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 made him think less of me because I wanted to know his his sexual orientation before I would, I would write to him. And, and I, you know, I was like, no, that's not it. I just wondered, you know, if you had a, a person with you or, you know, outside or, you know, I'm just trying to get to know you. And he asked me if I was married. So I thought, what's the damn difference? So we got off on bad foot, but then he, you know, he agreed. He he had somebody on the outside, and I hate this with the screaming fucking passion. It is one of the true crime writers' pet peeves of all times. I can tell you, is people who think they know what the hell is going on, but don't know what the hell is going on. But they're gonna work on behalf of this fucking inmate sick fuck, and and then try to dick me around, you know, and be like, well, you can't do this, or uh, you know, like uh, be on my blog, and then I'll get a, then I'd get a letter from from Joe, Joseph. He goes by Jet. Yeah, he calls that. That's what he likes to call. It. So then I get a, you know, a letter from him, and he's all, t- well, my friend on the outside was reading your blog, and I don't like the way you worded this and this and this. And I was like, I don't give a rat's ass what you like. And, you know, it, he, he was getting such a big head about being in the book. I said, you can tell your friend, you know, he can suck a fart out of my butt. I'm not, there's no <laughs> way. Oh, God, Kelly, I love you. Oh. <laughs> Yeah, he's uh, how long? When is his state? You know, do you know when he's supposed to die or whatever? When he's slated to go? No, I do not, because he's on federal death row for all the going across state lines BS. Mm-hmm. And, and besides that, then he's got charges in like three other states that he could die for. So I think they're just gonna like they are. Plus, because he's still got appeals, and you know, he's gonna die in there anyway. How do they, these people? They keep, end up being on death row for so long and not, not being killed, they end up dying Appeals. on death row? Because they don't put them in general populace. No, they live in their own in their own segments. Especially know, someone like him. People. Oh, yeah. He, he doesn't even live with the death row people. He lives by himself. They used to put people like him in general populace, and that's why people were dying before they can get their appeals. Even if they were in there by mistake, they were getting <laughs> murdered for her kids. What happened? Yeah. I don't know uh-huh. if I'm so. Uh, I don't know if I'm so broke up by that. I don't think. Yeah, uh, but there are people that get put in prison that don't belong there, and if yeah. they're on there from an accusation that's false, that's messed up, dude. Someone gets put in general population, and everybody's told right. they're and pedophiles. Bound to happen over and over and over. It does happen on the regular. <sighs> it sucks, but. Lobo, what was the person you want to talk about? Oh no, dude, we need to talk about Nasso because that guy's a fucking nut. Okay. <laughs> that whole Dude, he's was, old. He is old. He's. I got a. He sent me a birthday card on his birthday. <laughs> That's fucking creepy. Didn't he send you a Christmas card as a birthday card or something? 
Oh, he made he handmade me a Christmas card one time. Oh, yeah, and it was like Happy New Year, blah blah blah. He is such a pig, that man. Like, <laughs> I he is the epitome. He's like Homer Simpson and Archie Bunker and fucking Red Foreman off the '70s show, all wadded up into one oh big gosh. dickhead. He is just awful. Women are shit, and. You know, you can't do nothing. And so uh, every one of his letters was some sort of cut down, you know, because he was like, well, my birthday's coming up. And since you're a girl and you can't afford nothing because you're a girl and you don't have a good job because you're a girl, you All could right. send me some stamps. You know, I mean, it was, <laughs> I know. But, you know, in another letter, he was like, um, if you get around to making any extra money, um, you know, here's an idea. You can contact photographers in your area and um, ask them to model plus size, overweight, older women clothes. And I was like, oh, my God, didn't he like ask you if you were on SSI? And he, he was yes. like, I really feel sorry yes. for you. And, you know, he was trying to like profile you or something to yeah. all wow. the time. To, and just like that about women in general. And everything was oriented about women. Like he was, when we're getting to know each other, you know, he was like, I, I don't know if I'm going to work with you or not, but I'll fuck with you for a minute, you know? So we started writing back and forth. And then he's like, where, where are you from? And I was like, well, I'm from Indiana, but I moved to Tennessee with my family when I was in my teens. And so then he writes me back and it's like, he gives me a running commentary of every woman he ever slept with in every state that I had been in that he had also been in. So that's how he related to me. He was like, oh, you're from Indiana? I recall a blonde-headed waitress I screwed the tits off of behind I-95 in 78. You know, and all of Holy shit. And I was like, okay, well, you know, and that's just how he Isn't related nice? to everything. Yeah. So <laughs> that's how he related to all the shit, everything. What did he do? What were his crimes? Oh, he killed women. He was he was a photographer, mm -hmm. and he would lure women, you know, on the pretense of taking their photo, and rape and, and kill them and and uh, bury their bodies out in the desert in California, Arizona. He got caught some weird way or something. Wasn't his probation officer checking in on him? Yeah, because the dumbass wouldn't go to probation. So his probation officer showed up and just walked in the house and was like, damn, like, I think a serial killer lives here. Because like, <laughs> there was, like, mannequins, like, posed around, just like you'd see in a movie or something, you know, like cobwebs and mannequins with no head and, you know, like, Purses made of vaginas and stuff. No, I'm just kidding on that one. I'm joking. <laughs> just, and then he represented himself in court. And I remember reading about how he was he was cross-examining his ex-wife. And he was trying to throw stuff at her. And she's like, no, that's not how it happened. I woke up in the middle of the night and you had two guys screwing me or something like that. She refuted yeah, everything yeah. that he said. Yeah, he was like, no, you don't remember that, right? Uh-uh. You had too much to drink. <laughs> For real? Jesus Christ. That's what he told her, yeah. No, yeah, you drank too much. He got busted. His probation officer came to his house, and then they saw a gun sitting there, and that was when they came in to search the rest of the house. Because he was on probation, and he wasn't allowed to have a weapon. That's what it was. Yeah, he had a notebook that had a list of 10 women in it that he had killed, and they found most of those bodies, but not all of them, and he refuses to tell about the others. 
and he's about to kick out any minute if he ain't dead right now. Like when I was writing that book, if there was a lapse in where he hadn't called me or anything, I'd be like, oh, Joe's dead. Crazy Joe kicked the bucket. I mean, I just knew it. And I would call up there, Joe dead? No, he's still alive. Okay. Yeah, this One is good hope. You've got in yeah. here, this is his, uh, from your book. Joseph Nasso was booked on murder charges in Marin County, Marin, Co- Marin County, California, April 11th, 2011. He had kept journals. The journals detailed lurid sexual acts, rapes, and sexual assaults dating back to the 1950s. Most depict instances of Nasso approaching women, usually prostitutes, and offering them a ride home, whereas he describes he would give it to them. And then entries include girls, girl in North Buffalo Woods. She was real pretty, had to knock her out first. Outside her front door, I overpowered her and ravaged her. I couldn't help myself. And he kept he kept journals like this, just full of this right. stuff. Mm-hmm. So, you know, and it goes in here to talk about. And then said, I didn't do it. Yeah. yeah. And then he says, I didn't do it. I didn't do it. Right. And, you know. Wasn't me. And then they, they also had him pegged for the, the alphabet killer in New York because some of his um, victims had the same first and last initial, just as with the. Um, the alphabet killer. Oh yeah, that's right. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but after a little bit more research, that that really don't pan out. He doesn't talk to you anymore, right? Because he said uh, you said something about somebody yeah. else was investigating him as well, and then he shut up and just wouldn't right. talk to you anymore. Yeah, he found out another one of R.J. Parker, um, one another one of his writers, Chris Chris Sweeney or C.L. Sweeney. He was doing a book on him at the same time, mm-hmm. except for I had been talking to him just a, a little bit longer. And then he was also working with um, one of these guys that sells murderabilia. Mm-hmm. And when he found out, I knew that dude, and I knew that he was selling, he was selling like handprints and hair and, and, you know, like commissary tickets or what have you to these murderabilia places for money. And when he found out I knew that guy, yeah, he got all ticked off. He didn't want to talk to me no more. And then he wouldn't talk to the other writer either. They would just hmm. clamp it up on everybody. So do you even try to contact him anymore, or you just moved down? Yeah. I finished that book, and I was like, see ya. Uh-uh. <laughs> okay. Dropped so, him like a bad habit. <laughs> I did. <laughs> Christian Longo. Woo. He, he's very proud of himself. He's like very, uh, you know, hey, I'm Christian Longo. Let's say, buddy, they're going to make a movie about me, you guys. What's up? I hope they do. Yeah, James Franco made a movie about him with, I think, Jonah. What's his book? I Jonah Hill, right? Night. Yeah, yeah. It's a pretty good movie. Probably better than the actual story, probably, but who knows? Again, that's a situation where, like, you've talked to these people, you've gotten to know them, and then a movie comes out, and you see the movie, and you're like, how much does this match up? That really does match up well, because he, he is arrogant. I mean, I've had... It's part and parcel I with got, James' witnesses. That's, yeah, that's what you were saying, and, and it makes sense. You know, oh. if it, it makes sense, it does. I can see that in him. Yeah, it's it's bizarre because when you're growing up, a Jehovah's Witness, you're told that you're not you're you're not supposed to have contact with people that are. He he, the way you described it was he said that they they were demons. When I was where I was growing up here in in Connecticut. It was they were worldly, so they weren't of the tr- truth, as the Jehovah's Witnesses call it. So you weren't you weren't supposed to associate with people that were worldly, outside of the truth, uh, whether unless it was something professional or secular, as far as like school is concerned. 
So you weren't allowed to do anything, and you were told that everybody else's religion is wrong and that you are the only ones that know the truth. That's why it's called the truth within the within the church itself. He had trouble staying. You know, he he knew what he was supposed to do, but then he he really, you know, he wanted to do what everybody wanted him to and follow through with getting married with the kids, with staying with mm-hmm. the church, et cetera. But he just couldn't. So he was trying to live both those lives at the same time. And that just, it, you know, he couldn't pull it off. Yeah, it's common. Mm-hmm. Yep. Yeah, he killed his wife and kids, correct? Mm-hmm. It's common. I, mean, I don't want to say the murder part is common, but it's it, it's common kind of. for younger people within the religion to start to get, I mean, there's, there's talks regularly, which is like sermons. The Jehovah's Witnesses call them talks. They're done, you know, like, like any other dissertation would be done in front of the, the congregation itself. But like on the warning of not living a double life, like you're supposed to be only involved with the hall. You're supposed to be only involved with your fellow brothers and sisters in the truth and if you have issues, you are to go to a ministerial servant or, or, you know, an elder of the church and talk to the governing body and sit down and talk to them about what you're going through to help you through the fact that you're you're harboring this double lifestyle. I was like, fuck this noise. Wow. <laughs> I got I got wrapped <laughs> up in some bullshit. And I was out. I was like, nope. Yeah, he tried. He killed his wife and kids. <laughs> But then he tried to blame right. it on his wife and said he said that his wife told him that she killed the kids mm-hmm. and that he came home and he found the kids dead. So he went into a rage and then he killed his wife because she killed the kids off. And which I just was thinking about this this morning. If you guys have noticed the headlines lately of the guy that just killed his wife and daughter. Yep. So he's been thinking same thing. Yeah. Same thing. Just he disgusting. said, I walked in. She was killing him. Yeah. I just she was lost strangling my shit. Him. Yeah, except the kid was dead. I have a feeling at some point you're going to be talking to that guy, too, though. I did, too, because I already tried. I'm done checking it out. <laughs> I'm going to see. And, and, and I know he will. You can tell by a look on his face. I mean, he's like, well, I'm caught. Book deal. What can I do? Who's, you know, I mean, I can see it. It's just so, amazing. yeah. It's amazing that people, well, even after all this time, after after talking to you and, you know, on and off the air and, and talking to other people in the true crime genre, uh, podcasters and writers and stuff. It still amazes me the degradation that people fall into in the sense of I, I, they're, they're like, they're doing something they feel they need to do. And you're mm-hmm. like, what, what fucking flipped that made you feel like this was the right thing? Go get a cheeseburger. That could be the right thing. Dude, to do. I ask myself that every time that is like right there. That's why I did this. Somebody tell me that, you know, tell me yeah. why. <laughs> I really want to know. See, so, that's, that's yeah. one of the things about what everybody asks me, you know, when I go to, when I go to a, a, a venue, I, tr- I tend to stand off to the side. If I don't know people there, I tend to stand off to the side so that I can watch people because people are fascinating, especially when they don't know you're watching them because you get to see their little quirks and everything else. And there's always one dude there, guy or girl, that's just not right. And you're like, that dude's going to be in the newspaper at some point for something. Yeah. 
<laughs> right. Yeah. Some of them you can tell, like I said earlier. Yeah. Some of not at, not all of them look like everyday Joes, but ninety five percent of them look like everyday Joes. Yeah, it's weird. Cause, I mean, Bundy, look how how devastating Bundy was. I mean, he didn't look like a killer. John Wayne Gacy was fat and nasty. He didn't look like a killer. Richard Ramirez didn't look like a killer. Like a little Mexican punk, yeah. Well, what does a killer look like? You know, that's... Right. I don't know, dude. Jeffrey Dahmer kind of looked like a killer. He looked... He was off. Have y'all seen that movie that... I think it's called My Friend Dahmer. Yeah, yep. I have not. That is excellent, man. It's good. It's I really loved good. it. I want to read the book now. I mean, that's what we were talking about earlier, the true crime memoir, man. People are digging that. The crime. reason these people yeah. work the way they do is because they lure you in with that. I'm not a killer. I'm just an average, ordinary guy you can come over and have a beer with. And then I'll dismember you and grind you up with my meat grinder. Yeah, but people knew something was up with Willie Picton, man. And then surprise, they Cut you yeah, but the successful ones don't. That's how. That's why the successful ones are successful for yeah, so long. Yeah, but dude, Willie Picton was real successful for a real long yeah, time. Yeah, okay, well, there's exceptions to every rule, you know, but <laughs> I don't know. Boys, boys. Okay, this, there's something. <laughs> this, this is one of the things about you. This is why we like having you on the show, one of the main reasons. Uh, you always have personal stories. Like the last time you were on here, you you knew Eileen Wernos. You know, you had hung out with her bar. Yeah. You know, you talked to her, and you're like, your exact words were something like, "Girl, what have you gotten yourself into?" You know. Yeah. Um, <laughs> you always, in some way, have connections. You, you you said it yourself. You're like a magnet for weirdos. You you draw some of these people sometimes. I am. So we're gonna move on to. I don't know why. Gregory Scott Hale, who is somebody said that you said you specifically want to talk about. Now, Gregory Scott Hale, four years ago. Uh, murdered a woman named Lisa Hyder yep. uh, down in Tennessee. She had uh, she had gotten off of work and she was waiting for her ex to come pick her up. And Greg was like, I'll give you a ride. Come on, I'll give you a ride home. Takes her back to his place, gets her drunk. They have sex. <laughs> she passes out. He picks up a machete and hacks her up. And uh, the short version of the story, mm-hmm. and he was <laughs> weird. I'm looking at a picture of him right now. He is a very strange dude. Apparently, he was also into cannibalism and Satanism. Mm-hmm. And uh, he got caught because he went over to his neighbor's house and said, hey, can I borrow your backhoe? I got to bury a body. And the neighbors were like, um, no. And then they called the cops, and that's how he got busted. And this dude is a creepy guy. Now, the thing is, is that you knew this guy. So I did. I knew him very, very well. I knew him so well that I was the person that he called when he did that. The night that he did that. Yeah, I don't remember if you started telling us about that last time or not, or maybe you told us about it off the air and you said, we'll talk about this again sometime. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So this guy called you after he did that, and you were sort of directly involved with right. this. Everybody out there, if you're hearing this and you're into true crime, go to a computer and Google Gregory Scott Hale, H-A-L-E. And as you're looking at that, listen to this conversation, because this guy is a nutter. <laughs> Again, I question your life decisions. <laughs> well, you know, he was just the average dude. I, You know, if I don't live in anywhere you know spectacular i don't i'm not you know a famous best-selling new york best-selling author you know i I live in a really tiny little small town in the middle of nowhere tennessee Mm -hmm. i have you know i've been here about 30 some odd years i know a lot of people around here 
and he was just one of them that I knew. You know, we had went to the same high school. We partied around in the same crowd growing up. We went to the same, you know, house parties and field parties, which is what you do in the country. You know, you don't you go out in the middle of the field with keg of beer and turn your truck radio on and you party all night with bonfire, you know. Mm-hmm. Did a bunch of them, did a bunch of, you know, house parties, ran around with him. We had a bunch of friends in common. We was together a lot. And uh, we we didn't always like each other. There was a, a time when we got in an argument when we were really young, which nobody cares about. But we got and then I, I was pissed at him. I didn't talk to him for a while. And then I'm going to say right around 2011 or 12, uh, a girlfriend of mine, I was going through a bad breakup. I'd been married 17 years, and that was ending. And a girlfriend of mine was coming over, and she was also going through a breakup. And she said, you're not going to believe. I just ran into a bunch of fellas from, you know, school days. She said, I'm, I'm coming to get you. We're going to have barbecue at my house. Here we go. Oh, no. I said, okay. <laughs> so I know, isn't it hilarious? Well, she starts telling me, you know, who I was there, and Scott was one of them. And I thought, no, because last time I was around him, we got in an argument, you know, and and we had this really testy relationship where we just kind of glared at each other from across the room. And she was like, no, get over it. You know, you're going to do it. So she comes, picks me up, and Scott was with her, and he, he made a joke, you know, let's uh, bury the hatchet, you know, call it truth. <laughs> and we That's began. A- <laughs> well, he didn't know it was a joke, but it was, but. We became really close, and he helped me through a lot of stuff. You know, I was alone. I was trying to raise four kids all by myself. He helped me out a lot. He'd come on my grass. He'd hang. We'd sit on the porch and drink beer till late, late at night. Have you know, summer parties in the yard, and all of our friends would be here. And um, you know, he he stayed here a lot. He slept here a lot. He had trouble with his parents and. He would stay overnight, and, you know, he had a lot of drug problems, so we would argue over that because I wouldn't let it in my house. You know, drinking, I would let him do, and he could even, you know, smoke him some pot out there at the bonfire, but anything else, I just wouldn't cotton to, and and we'd get into arguments. Well, then he'd, he'd run off, and then he'd go try to live with his mama again for a while. Well, that wouldn't work out, and he'd, he'd find him a gal and hook up with her here and there for a while. One time he married this old broad. She was probably 300 pounds. She was a damn quarter. Long red hair. And he married her in some sort of fucking witch ceremony. As you do. He called me. Right. As you do. And I was at Walmart. (laughs) And he calls me, Kelly, will you come out here? Nobody's coming to our wedding. We need somebody to just sit here and, and watch us get married. I said, dude, I cannot do it. No can do, but I'm over here at Walmart. I've got to get her done. But, I mean, I just couldn't do it. So, <laughs> you could not have a more Southern thing to say right there. You have a, a potential murderer <laughs> calling you up to go to a witch wedding, and you're like, nope, I'm at Walmart. Can't do it. <laughs> there's nothing stereotype there (laughs) well you know they come from somewhere they do come from somewhere those stereotypes (laughs) so sorry go ahead (laughs) Uh, anyways he was a regular fella now you you ever try to make moves on you uh 
he, he was a regular guy. <laughs> now he looks funny because you're looking at pictures of him. But if you were going to sit in the room with him and bullshit with him, he really didn't look that different. He <laughs> would, and most of what you said was completely wrong, actually. Really? Really. Most of what you said is is not. That's not the way it happened at all. Okay. Huh. Almost all. Of it. Yeah. He did. He did <laughs> kill the girl, though, right? He did up. dismember her and chop her up, and all that happened, and all that's weird. But listen, <laughs> you think? Why are we laughing at this? <laughs> Go ahead. I don't know well, because it, it's the way to release stress, you know. Rude. Because it's so. Horrid. It's so horrid, you know. Otherwise, what are we going to cry? Exactly. <laughs> we would never get anything out. Anyway, dude, he was really normal. He really was. I mean, he he was like a dude that never grew up because uh, he was still dressing like we did in the 90s. You know, he had the combat boots that were untied and the big tongue hanging out. And, you know, sure, yeah, skinny, skinny jeans. And, you know, is he had the... the Flannel around his waist in the concert t-shirt and with the oh. arms cut off. That was, you know, his his go-to uniform all the time. And he just he loved weird shit. He was into. Um, he wanted to be an extra on on what's that zombie show? That, the Walking, uh, Dead. Walking Dead. Oh, he wanted to be as an extra on that. He was his whole room out. He lived outside his parents' house in the garage, and it was covered in where he was trying to do homemade horror movie props, so that when he when they came around to do auditions in Nashville, he could try out. That was his dream. He really wow. wanted to do that. So he had always weird pictures of himself because he had a whole portfolio because he wanted to be a horror movie actor. So oh. the, they never report that part because that part sucks for media, you know, but that's the damn truth. Wow. So, and he was fucking weird, though. I mean, all, 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 most of the really super weird shit is true. Yeah, it says here the sicko then dismembered and decapitated her body and with a great sense of pleasure took pictures and began eating the body parts. Okay. No, all that's true, though, but I don't know who said great sense of pleasure. Like, who wrote that? I, I don't remember them being there, but whatever. Okay. So he had trouble a lot lately. And see, I had started dating somebody, and he was, like, floating between relationships. And, you know, we couldn't spend as much time together as we had been. And I had been his only real close friend at that time. And he had gone away. Um, we got real close. And then we argued over his drug use. So he, he joined the carnival, which he had, was apt to do ever since junior high, and went away. And when he came back, I, I, had, I was dating somebody. And I had moved in with them. And we weren't spending as much time together as we used to. So he was getting really, really angrier and angrier. And he, a lot of his friends weren't putting up with him because he was getting, you know, he was doing a lot of crystal meth, heroin. He was getting way out of pocket. Well, the day that this happened, I had spent a, a couple, two or three days with him uh, about a week before that. Out, and, You know, we went to the flea market and hung out, and went to some of our old friends' house, hung out. I was trying to make him feel like himself again and hopefully he wouldn't you know jump off the deep end but that didn't happen so don't try that but 
Yeah, I could see where that would be a, a warning. So I took him home, and you know, and he, we sat in his garage out there and bullshitted about all kinds of stuff. And uh, mostly it was my breakup and what had happened and, you know, just gossip of living in this small town and drank some beer. And then I went home. Well, the day that all this happened, he called me. And I was on my way um, to work, and my brother's has a an e-cigarette store, e-vape, e-vape shop. So I was on my way to the store, and he says, "I need you to come and pick me up right now." I said, "Where are you?" And he says, "I I'm at work, but I can't stay here. The, you know, this the, everything's driving me crazy. It's just too much. I need to go home." I need, he said, "I need to go to the liquor store. I need to go home." Well, this is like nine o'clock in the morning. I said, "I you know, no can do." I got to go to work. But that night I had plans to go to Nashville with, a, you know, a group of people. We're going to go to this big swanky restaurant and shit. And that's something that's always bothered me was I had been looking forward to this night. And because it was so swanky, you know, and like $300 bottles of wine and, you know, everything was just pristine. And I was looking so forward to it. And I just really couldn't be bothered by him. And, you know, and that has always made me feel bad. <clears throat> ever since this happened, but I told him, no, I couldn't pick him up. I told him I would pick him up later, and I was getting off early to go on this day, on this evening trip. So I got off work early. I called him. He was walking down the road, and I went and picked him up. So I took, he was working at a, a car parts place. What is that? Scrapyard. A scrapyard. So I took him there to pick up his check. I took him to the beer store and they threw him out and I had to end up going in there and paying for his beer, getting him a, a case of beer because apparently he had shoplifted there before and they wouldn't let, they let oh, him dear. in. So I him right back out as soon as he went in. So I went in and paid for his shit. And, and you know, the weirdest things stick in your head after something like this happens. But I can remember that he smelled really bad of B.O. And I rolled the window down and he was like, I think I know, but I've been walking. And then he goes into this big, long tirade about what had happened the night before and that morning. And that he'd gotten an argument with his mother and he hated her just with a screaming passion. And he kept saying he was going to kill her. He was going to kill his mother. And he always said this for as long as I've known him, he has made Stupid jokes about death and dismemberment. He was a horror movie buff. He, you know, he was always saying dumb shit like that constantly since the 80s, this kid. So it did not faze me, not one little bit that he would say that. So I'm in a hurry to get rid of him. I'm like, dude, just here, get this beer and go in your garage apartment and shut up and I'll, you know, I'll call you in the morning. Now, was this before and after he killed this person? This was before. This is the day of. Okay. So... I says, no, you know, you're not going to kill your mom here. I bought him the case of beer. I took him to his garage there outside of his mom's house. I said, just stay in there and drink this beer. I said, I'll call you when I get back. You know, I said, I'll come over here tomorrow. We'll hang out tomorrow. We'll go, you know, do whatever you want to do. And he says, okay. And he follows me out to the car and he made this big, weird speech about what I, he's going to die tonight after he killed his mother and what I speak at his wake. And I'm the only one that understands him and da, da, da. And I'm like, just go, God, Jesus, you know, leave me alone. So finally I get him to go back in and I get home and I have my night and I'm so excited about my night. And the whole time we're having this lovely dinner 
in downtown mm. Nashville, my phone's going off. And I keep looking at it, and it's Scott over and over and over. Well, finally, I go to look at it, and, you know, I'm getting these text messages one after the other, and it says stuff like, I got her here. I'm going to do it. I'm not kidding. I found the one. This is the one. Uh, this, and uh, you know, uh, this it's now uh, finally it's the time um you know and then he was really fond of Richard Ramirez knowing that I knew him and would go through his letters and stuff and he was like I'm going to give you something to write about I'm going to be your Richard so I'm thinking huh well and, and I'm not gonna lie it did it did fuck with me right then I was like what has this some bitch done but I really I couldn't understand you know, because he was talking about killing his mom, but then he was, I found her, I got her here, and I was like, what is going on? And I was confused, but I did get a funny feeling, like, you know, like the, the hair stood funny on my head, and I did, I did get a feeling like something, hmm. Well, we kept, we had dinner, and then we went sightseeing, you know, bar crawl there through Nashville and all that, and then we get in the car and we're on the way back to back home, which is about an hour's drive from Nashville downtown. And we're driving home and, and you know, I had a pretty good wine buzz on I'm thinking maybe I should call Scott. So I look at my phone and uh, I look read through all the old <clears> messages <throat> and then the new one said I did it. I'm not kidding. You need to call me as soon as you get home. Well, I'm in the car with my new boyfriend, you know, so I'm like, I'm going to wait on this phone call. So, <laughs> yeah, I got to let you go. I think my friend just killed somebody. <laughs> yeah, so I, I really wasn't thinking of nobody died at that point. I was thinking maybe, maybe he'd hurt his mom, you know, and I didn't think anybody died. And, but you know, there's so many instances now I look back on, like, when people would try to start fights with him, which it would occur places, he never showed any fear ever. I never seen him flinch. I never seen him, I mean, just, I've never seen him be afraid of anything, ever, ever. Mm. It's it just strange. But anyways, you know, all he says, I did it. I, I, I'm not kidding. You need to call me. So we get to the house and, and it was about two o'clock in the morning and I called him because I knew, you know, I was still smoking at the time. So I went out, we, we only smoked outside. So I went outside. I said, I'm going to smoke a cigarette. And so I called Scott, what did you do? And, uh, he answered the phone and he was crying and he, he just, he wouldn't say anything. And I, I said, Did, is it your mom? Did you, is your mom okay? He said, yes, yeah, she's fine. And he said, look, I got to go. I, he said, I'm in, uh, I'm something like hip deep or something like that. And that sounds gross now, but that's what he said. Like mm. I'm hip deep. Yes. Or, you know, I've got, I've got, I'm, I'm up to my ass in this or something along those lines. He said, call me tomorrow and I'll tell you. And I said, are you all right? Cause, and I told him, I said, I got a bad feeling. I know something's going on. And he said, yeah, I'm, I'm fine. And uh, he said, I'll tell you tomorrow. I promise. I'll tell you tomorrow. I says, okay. So I, we get off the phone. And mind you, this is like a Friday night. Okay. 
Saturday morning. Well, then Saturday morning rolls around, and I had a damn hangover that you would not believe, and did not even mess with his ass. So, like late Saturday night, I um, I'm looking at the text messages again, and I text him. I said, "What did you do?" And he texts me back, "Nothing. Just kidding." Uh, something about some 151 vodka and that text right there probably saved me from getting prosecuted right alongside with him for this shit. I was going to say, did they, did they like seize your phone? Oh yeah. Everything I had all my, it came to my work computers, everything, my phone, all kind of fucking shit. Yes. It was a nightmare. Nightmare. So yeah. So he, te- you know, he says that he says that to me. You know, I'm just kidding. 151 vodka will rip you a new asshole or something, something like this. So I then, you know, I'm, my mind's at ease. Oh, okay. Oh, you know, that makes much better sense. Even the crazy phone call the night because 151. You know, if you got any idea, if y'all have oh, yeah. any idea, <laughs> I, I figured, you know, okay, all right. So I felt better about the whole situation. Bang, bang, bang. No problem. So I go to work Monday morning and I turn my computer on and he had Facebooked a bunch of crazy shit, um, random photos, screaming, screaming videos, snippets. And I'm like, what is going on? He rings my phone. My phone rings one time. And before I can answer it, it goes back off. I put the phone down and I turn TV on. And on the news is God's face. They just busted him. And that's how I found out. His mom then came up to work. Will you please go see him? He wanted to see me. So they let me in there to see him, I guess, to see what he would say. Maybe. I don't know. But I went in. I said, Scott, did you do this? Did you kill her? Did you eat her? And he he made a he pointed at the ceiling like where the the cameras are. Mm-hmm. And he, you know, this jail we were behind like a plexiglass field talk on the telephone, and uh, then he points to the telephone, you know, and he shakes his head no, like he didn't want to say. He points to the cameras and points to the phone, but you know. What the fuck? So I kind of mouthed it. I was like, did you eat her? And he held his fingers up like like if you were going to say a little bit, like if you had put your finger and your thumb together. He did that. He held it up to the glass. And we just kind of stared at each other for a second. And I said, why? And he shrugged a little bit. And he said, I'll call you later. I'll call you later. And I said, okay. And they let me sit in there talking to him for an hour. And, you know, I've known this man for fucking 20 years, and my insights were jiggling when I was in there talking to him. Yeah, I can imagine. Uh, you know, we did it, it was about time for Bonnaroo. We have this big, big concert that happens here every year. Mm-hmm. And you know, he was like, oh, God, my Bonnaroo ticket, who, you know, sell it if you don't want it, and blah, blah, blah. <laughs> and, yeah, and uh, Alice in Chains was coming, and Alice Cooper, and he was like, "Are you? who's going to go to ACDC with you now? Don't take Jimbo, because he's a douche, you know. Yeah. All right. 
Strange thing you know, to worry about. It was, it, that's what he was worried about. Yeah. And they, he was like, give my anthrax ticket to Odin. That was his son. Yeah. Do you still talk to him? Well, that's a funny story. So, you know, it got much worse, dude. I, you know, I went through the seven gates of hell over that situation throughout the whole court. And then I ended up getting diagnosed with PTSD after it was all over with. He, you know, and he sent me photos of her head in a bucket and her feet in a bucket. And he would, he sent me letter. What? He, okay, he did this while he was in jail, or he did. The, yes, because it was in his evidence file. So he, when after court was over and he got sentenced, he sent all of that shit to me, and it was stuff I had never seen before. Some of his confession was in there, and see, they kept. I don't know. It was such a weird ordeal during court. Like I didn't see a lot of them, and his mom wouldn't pay for a decent lawyer, even though they loaded. And I couldn't, I just couldn't figure it out. So I was kind of at odds with his, his folks and they sort of kept me out of the loop. But then I went to court the day, you know, he got sentenced and we had been talking the whole time that he was going to take it to jury trial because according to him and it cooperates with the woman's husband, she was a transient. She was from something like a hundred miles away. And ran into him at the liquor store. His Scott's friend Scarlett had got him, and they went to the liquor store. And he ran into this into Miss Hyder, and she was in there um, shopping. But she was a transient. She had got off the interstate from hitchhiking. There's a there's a truck stop right there where that liquor store is. So, and I went in there and watched the the um, camera of the of their interaction in there. Because a few weeks after, you know, this happened, Scott said, God damn her. You know, it was her fault. He said, if she hadn't come up to me, if she was just fucking left me alone. But he said she wouldn't leave me alone. She wanted to go home. She wanted to get drunk. All she could afford was a pint. And she saw what he was getting and she wanted to go home with him. And she kept telling him that his eyes were beautiful because he has real, real, real blue eyes. Unusually blue eyes. She... She she kept complimenting him, so I wanted to check this out as much as I could. So, uh, you know, according to the husband, she had not been home in a year. She had six kids, but she had left and was a drug addict and was traveling on the road, and he didn't know where she was at. Well, I went to the liquor store, and I watched the camera footage, and she does follow him around the whole, the whole liquor store and um, puts her arms around his neck which is unusual if you don't know that person. And it's unusual if you look like Scott because he looked a little bit different than other people. And I never found him particularly attractive because he was a little bit heavy. He's kind of balding, you know. I mean, he wasn't like George Clooney. So the whole situation is strange. But I guess Scarlett took them back to Scott's house and they drank all the rum and according to Scott, she said that she had ovarian cancer and had only a short time to live. And that is why she had left her family so that they didn't see her waste away. And she was planning to drink herself or OD herself to death. So she asked Scott if he would strangle her during sex. 
and he agreed and she was supposed to tap out but did not mm. that is his story and then after she peed on herself he tried to revive her couldn't and so he wigged out panicked and dismembered her he took a bite of her heart because he's a fucking weirdo nut job and that's something he'd always wanted to do I don't know Mm. She's quoted as saying, I hug people I hate, so I know how big to dig their holes in my backyard. D- d- that is something he used to say. But, you know, he read that, I think, in a Dean Koontz novel or something like that. Okay. If you search hard enough, he didn't come up with that. He's not mm. that bright. Well. Great <sighs> story. And after all that, I ended up almost having a nervous breakdown. I mean, just... It became too much. Uh, he went away to prison. You know, he was going to go to jury trial. And then at the last minute, he didn't even tell me. He just accepted a guilty plea. And I'm sitting in the courtroom. And I'm the only one in there for him. His own mom, dad, son, nobody showed up. I was the only one in there. And then on her side, you know, was the whole family. And the, her husband stood up and said he didn't have no ill will towards him because he knew how Lisa was and. You know, he didn't he had no idea what what could have happened and and what he said happened very well could have happened. He said as far as the dismemberment and cannibalism, well, that's on him. That's between him and his God. Well, I thought that was rather noble of him. Yeah, you think? Yeah. Well, uh, later, Scott, you know, he was standing there the whole time. Well, he said he asked me later what he said. And he was I told him and he said, well, shit. You know, he thought he was going to cuss him out and call him names. He said he had mentally blocked everything out, so he, he didn't hear anything that happened. He was just letting them drag him around up there. You know, he said that was the only way he really could get through it, was to just shut down. After all that happened, I still stuck with him. I visited him a bunch. We wrote constantly. We had constant phone calls, and then it started affecting me mentally and I don't know how to explain it. I don't know if I will ever be able to explain it, but it, it just affected my quality of life to such an extent that I was breaking down pretty much daily for no reason. I mean, it, it, it really, it messed with me and that uh, I cut him off and I haven't really talked to him in about two years. Off and on, he'll he'll send me things here. And I told him why. I said, you know, you, you killed me. You changed me. I'm a different person. I, you know, I'm, I can't even explain what this shit did to me. And on top of everything, you know, then I feel guilty for going out that night. I feel guilty for not believing him. But then I feel guilty because I miss him. You know, he was my drinking buddy. <laughs> He was my pool playing buddy. We ride around and make fun of people together, you know. And I'm mad at him that I don't have that anymore. And I think that's selfish. Yeah. But it's just one you of the you gotta, you got to take care of yourself, you know. You have to preserve yourself. Oh, that was a, a thing that happened, yeah. Well, um, wow. Well, thank you for sharing that. Wow. 
we're, we're over the hour mark. I, I don't want to cut you off because I don't. Have you told this story many times to people? Is is this something you've talked no, about openly a lot? It's just um, I trust you guys super lots and lots. So and you guys make me feel comfortable, but. Yeah, no, I I have only mentioned this one other place and before before now. Well, we're not going to judge you because you don't. I mean, I I legitimately believe you when you said you didn't think anything strange was going on because you've known this guy for a while, oh, and you said he's done these kinds of things before, and he seems kind of loony. So, um, or he seemed kind of loony, I should say. That's a bad. That's a bad context for me to put that at bad tense. Yeah. So you know it's. You know, I I do believe you that you didn't you know you didn't think anything was going on or whatever. The only question I have, um, and if you can't answer it somewhat quickly, is did you talk to the to the girl's family? What is their reaction towards you? Have you spoken to them, and have they said anything to you? I um I have not, not in the capacity as his friend. Mm-hmm. Now, as a writer, I did when I when you know when I first wrote about it, I contacted them just to verify facts. Mm-hmm. And that was so early in the game, I I really didn't know how I felt about it. Mm-hmm. And so I really didn't identify myself as being so personally involved. Mm-hmm. Wow. Do they hold any ill will towards you or anything? Not that I know of. Hmm. I mean, that the, her husband was very, it just seemed like, I got the impression that she had really put him down the road, you know, like he was just wore out and it this was just the end of a very long and sad you know, situation. He seemed beat and exhausted and just, I don't think he had it in him to hold ill will against anybody, really. So you had said that this is going to be, when we were talking off the air, that this is going to be the topic of your next book. Is this what you're working on now? It is. And it is so hard. It's probably the hardest thing I've ever done in my life. Are you going to contact him in regards to writing the book and get more information out of him? Or are you just going to go off what you got now? Well, that's a good question because of how it affects me, how bad, you know, I don't, I don't know. I don't, I can't afford to, you know, fall apart again. So it just all depends on how well I can handle it and what I've got because, you know, I've had people and and some, some really well-known authors I've spoken to about this when this, when it first, first, first happened have said to me, Kelly, you know, don't you know that you were just being groomed? Well, being groomed, you know, how how was he grooming me when he didn't even know he was going to do that? You know, since he was 15, he's grooming me this one. I, I don't I don't see that happening. I don't think that's what was going on. I think we were truly friends. I don't exactly. think, he, you know, I don't think he was just grooming me for what to what end, you know? Because he knew he was going to kill somebody in 20 years and he wanted a, a writer. I mean, it just don't make sense. But, you know, I have this information. And then I have, you know, when he first got arrested, he told me that while he was on the carnival, he killed two other girls. And these letters have, you know, he didn't know their names, but he did know the the, the town that the carnival was, carnival was in at the time. And you know, where, where it took place at. So I looked, you know, still to this day, this stuff gets me upset. I swear it's never going to stop messing with me, but I looked and I did, you know, 
see missing women in those towns. So I wrote emails to those towns, you know, and I said, look, this is the situation. And, and nobody ever believed me. Everybody was like, well, you know, we have people on those cases. We'll get back to you. You know, and I'm like, but dude, I, I know. <laughs> I'm telling you, I know. And, and he, we have never discussed that again either. I mean, he just told me that shit one day and, and I never said anything about it. And he never said anything else about it. And, and that was that. So, you know, yeah, that's it. we've got that to do someday. I got to admit of all the shows that we have ever done, this is the most flipped out story I have that I think we've ever covered of anybody we have ever talked to ever. I, I can't no. think of a more. Do I get a ribbon or a trophy or like? <laughs> I, I don't know. Does Hallmark make a card for this kind of occasion? I don't. I don't know. So fucking guest ever. I, I, well, <laughs> sure. I, I don't want to say it's it's not cool, but it's just it's just something that's so personally it's involved with you. It's yeah, it's fascinating from a macabre point of view. To talk to somebody mm-hmm. that was actually on okay, the inside. It's fascinating from any fucking point of view. Well, she was there. <laughs> she was on the inside. I mean, she was exactly. literally there while this was happening, while this is occurring. So this is the most direct we've yeah. ever talked to about anybody with any of this kind of thing ever. And the fact that you haven't told anybody directly about this before is interesting in itself yeah. as well. So I don't know where you're going to you go from You can see pictures of us on his Facebook. Yeah, what, what? You don't know where I'm what? I don't know where you're going to go from this. I don't know if you're going to contact him and try to approach it when you move on to try to do your book or whatever. And I don't even know what kind of advice to offer you on this thing. Cause part of me wants to say, you know what, contact him because now that he has admitted that he's guilty and this stuff has all come out, you might get a very different perspective of the story. But by likewise, this is somebody you knew and grew up with and partied with and hung out with, you know, mm-hmm. it's, for me, I can't, since I'm not, I don't know how I would react. I really, I, I would probably walk away. You know, if, if Lobo were to call me up and say he killed his wife and family, I I love the dude, but I, I don't. I, <laughs> sorry, man. We're done here. You're this on is, your own. Yeah. <laughs> my phone number has changed. Got to go. Bye. You know, I don't I don't yeah. know what I would do, you know, other than why did you do this? I, of course, I would have questions. But how far does that go? You know, I you, always knew he was a little bit sick. So, you know, because of all the threats up against his mother and, you know, just the way he. I just, I always knew he was a little, you know, half a bubble off plum. So I think it was my way of maybe atoning for not doing something about it when I could have, I guess. Yeah, but what were you going to do? I mean, there are people are odd ducks. That doesn't mean they're going to be murderers, you know? No, I never thought that. And people look at him now, you know, and go, oh, right. Yeah, you never knew. No, it's different when you know the person. Right. It's not like it is in the headline at all. Yeah. Mm-hmm. See, hindsight's always twenty twenty, and then you want to <laughs> you want to tie things together, and you want to connect dots that just aren't there. True. You know, you knew this guy intimately. I mean, you know, knew him for years. Yeah. You guys like spent yeah. time together, and you know, shed mm-hmm. tears together, and oh yeah. So shallow ask a question here: the guy that you were dating that night. Well, I'm, I gotta ask, yeah. you know, uh-huh. the guy that you were dating that night, did he ever find out yeah. about this? And what was his reaction? I mean, did, did that did that pretty much yeah. kill that relationship? Was that it? No, we are still together. And he um, he uh, asked me to marry him about two years after that. Woo-hoo! Yeah, we've been engaged about three years now, I guess. That's awesome. He, um, 
he knew that I was friends with Scott already, you know, because I'd call, you know, I'd be like, I'm going to be late coming home. I'm going to stop over at Scott's and drink beer, you know, mm-hmm. or I, and he knew, you know, that he didn't have a ride. And I would often take him to him from work or run, take him to run errands or whatever. And, you know, I, I'm not going to say he loved it, but, you know, he knew that Scott was important to me. And, you know, he and Scott would do just about anything for me if I asked him to do something. He would have done it uh, no matter what he had to do to get it done. Mm-hmm. I could always count on him. Wow. That's awesome. So, yeah, we stayed together and he knew about it and he tried to help me through it. And, you know, he's a lot of the reason I ended up um, with the PTSD diagnosis because, you know, he kept telling me, Kelly, this is killing you. This is eating you up. You Are know, you sure you want to go back to somebody. this? Are you sure you want to tap that, back into this to do this book? Or, or does, it, it's hard, you know, because like, I'm a local celebrity out here, dude. You know, like people will recognize me and go, oh, hey, you know, and you're the one. You're that girl. You know, I was on the news and shit in the newspapers and, you know, I was Facebook famous there for a minute because I was all over his Facebook where our banter was there and our photos of hanging out and, you know, my head in his lap and, you know, hang just, you know, it was obvious. That's nothing that I could deny. And then, you know, him making remarks about Richard Ramirez. And, you know, that was all in the newspaper. People would copy that shit. And, you know, I, I looked like the, just as big a freak as he did there for a long time. <laughs> well, it's painful, but I want to do it. I got to get it, it out now. Or it's never going to come out. <laughs> do it. I want to read it. <laughs> cool. Be my beta reader. <laughs> I'll do it. Absolutely. <laughs> he will too. He, he'll inhale it in one night. Nice. <laughs> nice, nice, nice. Well, we're going to let you go. Um, but do me a favor and hang yeah. on when we're done with the interview, though. Um, is there any, okay. this is the chance where I give the uh, the authors to promote anything they've got out there where people can find you. If there's anything you want to promote, what you want to talk about, where people can find your books. Um, if you know any other serial killers out there on the market that are creeping around, maybe, I don't know, bad joke, but Hey, how else am I supposed to react to this? Well, first I want to thank you guys. And I am so excited to to do this again, because you guys had the best listeners. Last time we did this, I got a lot of fan mail. I got a lot of yeah, people we got good just people. wanting to BS and shit. Yeah. And shit. yeah it was great. Hopefully none oh, of them are rude to you or anything. I don't think any of them were, but <laughs> No, no, it was really awesome. And it, it was neat because it was like across the barrage of forums. You know, I had like some Twitter people and some Instagram people and some Facebook people. You know, it's like a little bit of everywhere people recognize me. And I was like, this is all right, all right. So <laughs> it was fun. Yeah. And, and we had a good time. And somebody, I think it was you guys' show was the one that told me I was a cross between Ellie Mae and Elvira. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. 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 Well, it's like I said, you're a very. This is one of the reasons why we like talking to because you're a very different person. You're you're the you're you're the every. Well, I don't want to say every man, but you know you're you're not you're not going to go on and be all prim and proper. You're you're just. It's like I said earlier. You're, you're like somebody I would run into at a bar and sit down and have a beer with and just talk yeah. to. You, you know, you're have a lot of everyday <laughs> person. You know, and what you are is what you are. It's you what you're out there and you're genuine. So you know and. You being here, is it's not a big deal. You can cuss and swear and be yourself. You don't have to pull any punches or anything. Yeah. So, you know, it's it's always interesting to talk to you. It's just the fact that you've got these stories that you're directly involved with so many of these people. 
And that's Got the, more too. yeah, I know, I know. So this is going to happen again. All right. <laughs> so yeah, you know, tell people where they can find you and everything. And, you know, okay. uh, you can find my books on Amazon. Um, you can find them on Barnes and Noble. You can really find them anywhere. I, I actually found somebody selling them on eBay the other day, but it'd be awesome if you went straight to Amazon and then did it. So maybe I could get it cut. I also have a website, kellybenaski.com. Um, I also have a blog, which is where most people know me from, thewomancondemned.com. It's where I post most of my views and visits and <coughs> sorry, <coughs> conversations with <laughs> the women on death row, uh, the men that I talk to, all the cases that I come across. That's kind of like the daily where to find me at. <coughs> you can get me on Facebook. Um, under the woman condemned or my name, Kelly Benesky. I'm on Instagram as true crime. Kelly. There's a lot of cool pictures there. Mm-hmm. Um, sometimes you can see my cleavage. So check it out. <laughs> um, also, That's a draw. Right? Hey man, I'll take them how I can get them. Whatever. Oh, wow. Also, <laughs> God, shit the bed. Um, <laughs> Twitter, um, write like a mother, M-U-T-H-A. So I'm all over the place. You can't miss me. Blonde, big green eyes, cuss a lot. Sweetheart. Sweetheart. (laughs) Hello, cow. I will say that your your Facebook page is rather down to earth and very (laughs) average. Um, So if anybody's going to like join up on your Facebook page looking to hear true crime stories and stuff like that, it's mostly here's my kid graduating. Yeah. No, no, no. If yeah, you want to do that, I would find the woman condemned Facebook page. Yeah. It's all about, you know, women, crime and gory crap. That's where the so. true meat and potatoes are. But otherwise, your your regular right. Facebook page, much like now, mine, is very down to earth and just like, yeah, yeah, what's up? You know, you're just going to get rants about Trump and, you know, <laughs> pictures of my meatloaf. So that's awesome. Maybe my cat. And look, watch me and love to argue. Okay. Yeah. Thanks, you guys. <laughs> Thank you very yeah. much. Thank you for coming on here and telling these stories. We we very much love hearing them. And it... thank you for asking. And I love you guys so much. Oh, thank you. Nope. Thank you. Love you. Love you guys. I'm trying to use the phone. It's not ramen noodle. It's ramen noodles, or cup of noodle, or bowl noodle. Oh my God, who the hell cares? Or Top Ramen. You know who this is. See ya. So yeah, um, well, yeah, that, that was a lot. I don't know. <laughs> it was something. Well, it was like, well, we, we need to wrap this up. and Because you were like, we, we should probably wrap this up because we were getting at the hour mark. But she was three quarters of the way through the story. And I'm like, I, I can't end this. I got, I, I don't want to interrupt her. I want to at least let her finish the story as much as we can before we cut her off. I don't want to end it. So I was just like, you know what? Just let it roll. You know, and if you had to go, you had to go or whatever. But we just, we just kept letting it go and letting it record. And um, it, you were saying that you were listening to another podcast or something like that. And they were talking about this case. Yeah. Had they, no idea who the person was because they didn't say it was her. They wouldn't give out a name. And then when they said that the woman's phone was seized and they took the, the text message and the call logs and then the pictures that were sent later to the cell phone, I'm like, oh, fuck, this is Kelly. Oh, my God. <laughs> I know this woman. 
Yeah. But it didn't click until she started mentioning the phone being seized and the pictures being sent on the phone to her. I was like, oh my God. I can't believe he sent the pictures to her of the woman's head in the bucket and everything. I don't. I can. How I do can. you, how do you Only- deal with one of your friends that you're so close with going off the deep end and doing something like this? Like if uh, I were to call you up and say, I just killed my wife and kids, Lobo. Here, let me send you some pictures. You know, I mean, how do you react I can't to that? Answer that. <laughs> I, I don't. I, I wouldn't be able to either. You know, I don't know. Well, I've gotten some strange phone calls and text messages sent to me. I'm not going to say anything for fear of. <laughs> I'm not saying anything. I still no don't. one's no one's murdered anybody that I'm going to admit to. I get it, but how do you how do you deal with somebody who's really close to you? You know, going off the deep end like that. Or the signs were there and she just didn't see it because he was a friend of hers or something along those lines. What's really odd also is she is a true crime person. So she was investigating this kind of stuff when this happened. So it's that kind of the idea that when you poke at this stuff, sometimes it can poke back. And Oh, it always pokes back. You know, it's One way, shape, or form, it always pokes back. How do you... Again, how do you go about dealing with that? You know, yes, I dealt with people being, you know, arrested and having to. I brought one of my best friends down to police station because there was a search warrant out on him. Mm -hmm. His mother had asked me to take care of him, and what am I supposed to do? You know, let him keep running and end up with a bigger fine, or look, tell him, look, we need to get you down there before I before I turned him in. Though I'm like, can we run my name to make sure there's nothing on me? No one goes into a police department and says that. (laughs) Well, there's one person you know that does. Uh, I walked right up to the window and I said, Anthony Matthias, could you run the name? I'm here with somebody else. If I'm clear, you only have to fill out one today. uh, I don't know. The thing is, is like she said, she's got more stories. You know, and yeah, I mean, she does. So she's like, why? You know, she's, a, she's a wealth of information. Well, I bugged her afterwards. I bugged her on Facebook on private and say, hey, listen, thank you for telling your story. We really appreciate this. We I really, did the same thing. Yeah. I you know, chatted I, back and forth with her for a little while. I said, I really respect the trust that you have for us and everything. And the other thing is, I just felt I genuinely felt bad for being a dick because, again, yeah. I just wasn't I, I just wasn't paying attention and interpreting entirely what was going on and afterwards i just felt like such an asshole but she was totally cool with it she says yeah i've got lots more stories and stuff she said let's not make it a year next time and i'm like yeah but that gives you time to formulate stories (laughs) that gives you time to do that don't make it a year (laughs) yeah yeah, so yeah we'll make it shorter than a year next time but i wonder like to have all of this letters and all of this paraphernalia from all of these people you know, I wonder, like, we, I used to say that to Robert Schneck all the time. I'm like, is your house just full of filing cabinets, full of weird stuff? How much of this yes. stuff does she just have laying around? You know, like. Well, hers, I, something tells me that, that Robert's is just, like, in stacks mm-hmm. or in, like, those brown ones, that the brown boxes that you'd see at any business place. Yeah. For where she records. goes out and buys pretty ones so that they at least look nice. Mm-hmm. So they're a little more hidden, I suppose. Mm-hmm. I don't know. I don't know. That was um, I, I called a friend of mine afterwards and I'm like, I need to mellow out. We just had this crazy conversation and, you know, I need to tell you about it. I, I called, you know, I called a mutual friend of the show and talked to her for a little bit and she was like, wow. So but um, 
All right, well, let's move on, because I don't think we can say too much more other than I've apologized profusely for being a total dick <laughs> a, to, the, to her and, and the listeners, because I just I, 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 that's the one thing I feel bad about was I was like, all right, it's, it's time to turn heavy Rogan off and just listen for a little bit. But um, so we got a voicemail, as you people have already heard at this point. Apparently, we're not saying ramen noodles wrong. Oh, wait a minute. We are saying ramen noodles wrong. Wow. It's top top ramen cup noodle or something. I don't know. It's ramen. I, I look at the bowl package. Noodle. I don't it's know. Ramen. I don't go to the noodle. grocery store and say I need bowl noodle. And am I supposed to say bowl spe- dot 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 noodle? Am, are we going to have oh, to start no, saying no, 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 blah, 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 dot, 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 blah, blah, blah. Every time there's some kind of a word thing or something. Uh, I will drive out to Michigan and murder you. I, I, I think Jason's just being a dick. <laughs> yes, we know who you are. <laughs> Which, by the way, it, it was good to hear from Jason again. I haven't heard from him on Facebook or call in or anything like that. So anytime we get a call in. I think he's just being a dick and screwing with us because we've used his message over so many years of fast food freakouts at this point. Um, so, yeah, I apologize for saying ramen dot 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 noodle wrong. I, I, oh I deeply affected by this and, and I did not mean to butt hurt, butt hurt you, sir. Anyways, um, God. this show is really long, so uh, yep. let's just call it good. You're not going to be here next week, so I don't know nope. if I'm dropping an episode, a solo episode or if I'm just going to throw a best of out and then the following week you'll be here. And then after that, there's going to be a little bit of a void for a little while. Cause uh, I don't know if there's going to be a little, bit I of a think void. there I will work for a week. They want me out of work for seven to 10 days. So that's probably going to be more like three days because yeah. I can't sit around. Yeah. But I don't know if I want to deal with podcasting with a, a stapled sewed up cranky ass bastard Lobo. Um, Cause you're going to be in pain. You're going to you're this is going to like you're you're the the litmus test for what I'm going to be going through. I'm going to be like, OK, I'm going to play this shit up so much. Well, as you should, you're married and you have kids. So this could be like your staycation. It'll be you'll, you're no, be no, 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 pain, no. I'm going to play it up for you. So you think you're going oh, into a battlefield. No, <laughs> I, I, I am worried about getting this surgery. I'm not you know, I, I've had the surgery on my wrist. I had the surgery on my knee. I've never had surgery other than having my nuts clipped. That's it. Welcome to the Project Blunt Park uh, podcast. Wait, hey, that makes it sound like it's a weed don't podcast. Know by now, they're never going to. <laughs> I've been told it's a real painful surgery. Like I've got people like, oh. oh yeah, I've had knee surgery, I've had the wrist surgery you had, I've had the the hernia surgery, and that's the one that hurts. That's the one that puts you down for a little while. Now, you know, I've, I've I've had I've like I said I've never I've never had surgery before, but I did find out that it's not an umbilical hernia. It's a ventral hernia. But it's so, still a hernia where the lining of your your muscle lining tears and your intestines pop through. No, it's, it's actually not your intestines. That's the part I found out that was fascinating. Until the hole gets much larger, it's actually a layer of, of fat that's in front of, your, uh, in front of your intestines that's poking through. It's not your intestines. Oh. The hole has to be actually larger for it to be your intestines. Oh. So yeah, that's there's a layer why. of fat in front of your colon that's within the sac. Uh, what did he call it? The peritoneal sac, I believe is what it's called. And he said the fat is what's pushing through, and that's what causes the discomfort. It, must, it has to get a lot larger before it pushes the fat out, and then the intestines come afterwards. See, mine doesn't hurt. See, I don't have any pain from mine at all. Yours is just fat pushing through. 
I'm sure people are fascinated hearing this. I'm sure there are I, some. That I, are. I have a substantial amount of fat to push through. So hey, um, <laughs> great. All right, let's call it good. Um, yeah, thanks, folks. This is Rojan. Peace out from Detroit. Slowbo from Connecticut. I don't know. Peace. Bye.